Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Long Island, Kelvin Gastelum versus Chris Weidman. Man, it's going down this Saturday night. Yeah, this is one of the best fight cards of the year, in my opinion, on Long Island. We got so many dudes from Long Island on the card. We got Jimmy Rivera, Kelvin Gastelum versus Weidman, Elkins and Bermuda. So this card couldn't get any, get any better, in my opinion. I mean, you had me at Jimmy Rivera versus Tomas Almeida. There's nothing else left to say. That's going to be a one hell of a scrap. And let's get right down to business, man, because I heard you had a play on the very first fight of the night. And it's a rematch. Chris Wade, he's minus 310, minus 285, depending where you look. The comeback on Frankie Perez is plus 255. Now, you think that uh, Frankie Perez can right the wrong? You know, their first fight was very, very close. Now they meet again in the UFC. What do you think is going to go down in the rematch? I think Chris Wade's going to get the victory again in this fight. Frankie Perez, you know, he's fairly well-rounded, but in my opinion, he's too accepting of that bottom position. We've seen him get stuck on the bottom several times and not work his way back up to the feet. Going back to his UFC, UFC debut against Johnny Case, what happened in that fight? He got completely dominated in every grappling situation and got finished. Then he goes in there, knocks out a a guy who shouldn't have been fighting at the time in Sam Stout, so I don't put that much stock into that win. He's only got like two KOs in his career. And my thing with Chris Wade is, considering the huge competition leap he took from Mehdi Baghdad to Rustam Kabilov <laughs> and Islam Makachev, and not to mention... In those fights, he won the first round in both those fights. He comes out there and he drops Rustam with a flying head kick. And, you know, Wade's strength is that wrestling. And those two guys are just so dominant in that area when they're fighting these mid-tier lightweights. They're going to dominate everyone they fight in that department. And, you know, now that he's going from Rustam and Islam back down to Frankie Perez, I think this is a considerable drop down in competition. And I think Wade held his own in those fights. To win a round in those fights where most guys wouldn't have, and out-grapple Islam the first round, I think he's going to do the same thing here. I think he's going to out-volume him on the feet with his nice little point-fighting style with the kickboxing, and I think he's going to win every single grappling exchange and win a 30-27. So you got him in a play? And I, I got him in a play with somebody else later. I got it at minus 270, so I beat that minus 310. And um, Chris Wade is actually my most confident pick of the night. Wow. Talk about uh, getting into an opposite star. Not that I'm picking Frankie Perez, but I'm nowhere near as confident in Chris Wade as you are. Now, I respect the fact that he took those fights with Rustam and Islam Mahashev. I mean, he got his ass whooped. He got broken in both of those fights. But, hey, you know, he threw a nice front kick to the face against Rustam. And I really like that uh, submission he had in his UFC debut against uh, Kane Carrizoza, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was yeah, a yeah. very, <laughs> very beautiful choke. Now, with Frankie Perez... Makes his UFC debut against Johnny Case. He makes Johnny Case look like a future world champion. So, uh, you know, I wrote this kid off right away. But then he takes on Sam Stout. And, you know, the deal always fades Sam Stout, especially at the end of his career. So I cashed Frankie Perez there. Then the kid retires. He, he gets the biggest win of his career, then he retires. I was like, are he you a the sport? And, and we're not talking about a kid that's 35. We're talking about a kid that's 26. He's a head case. The thing is, Chris Wade's a head case, too. Now... He, he straight up broke in the Rustam fight because I bet on him there. I, I know when a fighter breaks, he broke in that fight, but that's Rustam. I don't think that Frankie can bring what Rustam brings to the table, but I do think Frankie's better than people give him credit for because you watch that fight with DeCasey. There's certain things I like. There's certain things I don't like. I like the fact that he was establishing his takedowns. He looked like he got better. It looked like, you know what, Frankie Perez ain't that bad. And coming off a year retirement where, you know, you question this guy's mindset and he came back against a very young, hungry guy, put up a valiant effort. But he broke. 
The fight was tied one to one going into the third, and Frankie broke in that third round, and that's the kind of shit I don't like. So I mean, I guess I'm with you on Wade. I think he's the favorite for a reason, but I don't trust the dude at all to put my money on him. I wish you luck, but yeah, I got Chris Wade as well. Next up in the heavyweight division, we're just gonna do this whole card, man. You know, people were complaining that we were skipping uh, Elmos versus uh, what's the chick that likes Fighter Union's name again? Leslie Smith. Yeah, versus so they they got mad about all that. So, we're going to talk about the real fights. But anyways, we got Timothy Johnson, Timmy Big Dick. He's minus 235. The comeback on Junior Albini is plus 195. What you know about the newcomer? Junior Albini, he's uh, got more of like a point fighting style on the feet with his Muay Thai. But like he's been slaughtering dudes on the Brazilian local scene, even in Europe as well. Tim Johnson, we know about him. He's a basic grinder, heavyweight, you know, likes to push you up in that fence, use that dirty boxing and grind out decisions or finish you. You know, he's got wins over Marcin Tabura, Daniel Omolunchuk. So he's got some very credible wins. But I'm going to go with Albini here, man. I think he's going to pull off the upset. Um, I like what I've seen from him on the feet. It wasn't enough to bet on him just because there's only a couple videos. There's not enough footage. But I think on the feet he's going to uh, cause some problems for Tim Johnson. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tim went out there and grinded out a close decision like he's known for. But um, I think we could see some things that we saw in that Volkov fight with that point fighting, man, as long as Albini can keep up the pace for three rounds. And uh, I think he is. Albini ain't bad at all, and he's actually going to have a couple good wins in the UFC. I just think this is a very tough fight to look good against. You know, Tim Johnson's one of those guys. It's not the prettiest, I'll tell you that right now. But it's effective, and he finds a way to win. And he's found a way to win against way better strikers than uh, Albini. No offense, but, you know, Marcin Tibora, I think we can both agree, might be a bit of a better striker. And, you know, I don't like saying better striker, worse striker. What I like about a guy like Marcin Tibora is that volume style on the feet, you know. And also in that Volkov fight, which I scored for Timothy Johnson, you know, what he does is he... He makes you not fight your game. He makes you fight his game. He pushes you up against the fence, and he knows how to make it to where, you know, the ref's like, all right, I need to see some work. And then Timothy Johnson will throw an uppercut or a knee to the thigh to get an extra 30 seconds on the clock. And then the ref's going to be like, all right, guys, I'm about, to, I'm about to break it up. Then Timothy Johnson will get a little bit more active, get a little bit more time, and that's how he chips away at guys. That's how he grinds out rounds. That's how I think he's going to win this fight. So I got the favorite. Now here... I got money on the line here, man, because we got Shane Burgos. He's minus 390. So money came in on him. The, the comeback on Godofredo du Pepe is plus 320. Now, what do you think about this uh, Pepe plus 320, man? My personal opinion, you know, I do have Burgos winning the fight. I think he's one of the best prospects at 145. His striking is serious, but his defensive striking worries me a little bit, especially at this line. I mean... I know Pepe is not known for his boxing, and he's wild on the feet. He likes to throw those spinning head kicks, but I actually think those spinning head kicks could, you know, come and play here. In that Rosa fight, we saw Burgos get clipped with a little bit, get clipped with some, but Rosa doesn't throw him with the same power and speed that Pepe does. And for a guy that gets hit five times a minute, more than five times a minute, I think maybe he could take his first UFC L here, but, you know, I do got Burgos in here just because I think his offense is just going to be too much for Pepe to handle, and we know about that that uh, Brazilian weasel chin on uh, Pepe, so, you know, I think Burgos is going to go out here and get it done. I do think it's going to get hairy at times. I didn't think it was worth it. Even when it was minus 320, I, I didn't think it was worth it just because these prospects sometimes you know they have these off nights for example like jordan johnson against fortuna these super high prospects 
every once in a while they come in a little bit flat and you know they have an off night and it's a part of the process but i think burgos will, will get through this one if this fight was in brazil i'd have a lot more pause but look i like i like pepe a lot he's awesome i mean how can you not like him the dude's throwing flying knees knocking dudes out tapping out studs like andre feely with flying triangles and, I mean, he'll just stand and bang until one guy falls. Obviously, the spinning heel kicks, like you mentioned, those are a lot of fun, too. The guy's awesome to watch. But in a fight like this with Shane Burgos, who, you know, Shane Burgos is a little bit defensively irresponsible. This is true. But he kind of has that style, like, like Tim Means a little bit, where he'll walk you down, he'll hand fight, and his punches down the middle are, middle are super crisp. He is a little bit defensively flawed. However, his head movement's nice. I mean, you saw that finish against Charles Rosa, the way he slipped his head off that center line, then cracked him with that right, put him down. It might have actually been a left. But look, bottom line is the kid can slip. It's just you got to be careful with those heel kicks of Pepe. And Pepe's going to come out swinging, but that's where I think that Shane Burgos can get an opening there, catch him with a nice left, catch him with a nice right hook, walk him down, knock him out. Because, you know, Pepe has been knocked out before. You know, I'm not just talking about the Sam Cecilia fight. I'm talking about the Felipe Aranches fight as well. And they were both inside of his guard. But I think that Shane Burgos can actually do it from standing. You know, they're going to be standing and trading till one guy falls. I think the guy that's going to fall is Pepe. So, you know, I put a... Wow, I went big on this, man. I put 3.1 units on Burgos when he was minus 310 in a parlay with someone. I don't often do parlays, but when I do, I think... I hope it's going to cash, so we'll see what the hell happens here. I think this is a very exciting fight, but uh, I like Burgos to uh, to slip and rip and uh, knock out Du Pepe. And next up, this one should be good, man. I don't know how I feel about the line, but we got Jeremy Kennedy's minus 245. The comeback on Kyle Bochniak is plus 205. Now, I know a lot of people think Kyle Bochniak's this jobber, but... Man, he, uh, he's one of those uh, overachievers, you know what I mean? He's one of those dudes that fights tough every single time. I mean, you saw his fight with Enrique Barzola. A lot of us thought he lost. He goes out there, he gets the win. Then his fight with Charles Rosa. A lot of us thought he won, but he got the L. So it's kind of interesting with this guy. When you think he wins, he loses. And when you think he loses, he wins. He's super tough. Now with JBC, with you know Junior Bacon Cheeseburger, Jeremy Kennedy, what I like about this kid is that he's super well-rounded. I mean, he can stand with you, but it's not. he's not going to stand and trade with you. He's going to try to be pretty out there. It's going to be like, just imagine like a featherweight George St. Pierre, but super green in his career. That's what I think of when I think of Jeremy Kennedy, man. You know, I bet on him against Honey Jason. Two seconds into the fight, he gets dropped with a flying knee. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, Jeremy. But, you know, he got the opportune takedowns at the end of the rounds, which is the kind of shit I love when I'm betting on someone. So you'd think that he'd go out here as the minus 245 favorite and get it done against Bochniak, but uh, Bochniak's going to be in it the entire fight. I'll tell you that right now, Shaq. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, Bochniak, I... When this fight got announced, you know, I was looking into Kennedy as a possible leg or maybe a straight play if it was low enough. But the more I watched Bosniak, man, the more he put that fear in me because he's always in the fight. And, I mean, I know a lot of us think that Barzolo won the fight. And, you know, I think Barzolo won the fight as well. But if you rewatch it, Bosniak did some key things at the end of each round to make it questionable. So this guy is always going to be in the fight. He's never going to accept anything. If he gets taken down, he's going to be working back up. If he... If he gets tagged, he's going to try to land that hard leg kick that he has to sway the judges. And, you know, Kennedy, I really like his forward pressure, man. When he when he moves forward, these long featherweights, they're deceptively strong. And, you know, I love that pressure he has against the fence, you know, always going for takedowns, always being the aggressor. I think that's going to get him the win here, but it's going to be very hairy. I see it being a split decision type of fight as Bosniak can sway these judges. And uh, 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame anyone for taking that shot on Bosniak. I think it's going to be like a 55-45 type of fight, and we'll see. Brian Kelleher is minus 235. The comeback on Marlon Chito Vera is plus 195. It's an interesting fight, man, because Brian Kelleher, he goes out there. He finishes Yuri Alcantara in the very first round, which one doesn't simply do. I mean, Yuri dove headfirst into that guillotine, but he tapped right away. That shows you the kind of squeeze that Brian Kelleher has. But Chito Vera, ever since he moved to the United States, he's on a two-fight win streak. He's putting it together. He knocked out the legend Brad Pickett on one week short notice, and now he's a plus 195 underdog. What do you think? Um... You know, as far as a betting standpoint goes, I wasn't confident in Vera, mainly due to not saying that he plays around, but I feel like he lets too much shit happen to him for no particular reason. Like the Ning, what's his last name? Wang Yu. Wang Yu fight. He could have clearly, he could have made that more clear. He won clearly, but he could have made it more clear. I felt like he was playing around too much, dancing a little bit too much with his hands down. And, you know, I just, I, I didn't think it was a clean performance. The thing with Kelleher, there's not enough tape on him, to be honest, in my opinion. I really don't know what he's about. His his stand-up against Yuri early looked a little choppy, a little all over the place. He was getting tagged, touched up quite a bit. So I really don't know about him too much. And Marlon Vera in the picket fight, you know, he arguably lost the first two rounds. It was just too close. I know he took it on short notice, but I can name 30 Bantamweights out there that would have took it on short notice and put Pickett down in the first round. So... Not Thomas Almeida. <laughs> Short notice, though. But the thing is, oh man, I, I guess I'll I'll lean I'll lean Kelleher just because, you know, what he did against Yuri. He went out there against all odds and made it and you know pulled off a big upset. So that shows me the type of mental state this guy's in to be facing those type of odds. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Marlon pulled it off. He's more experienced in the UFC, and he's constantly getting better. But as far as his skills, I'm just not very confident. His takedown defense is a little sketchy, and uh, I'll go with Keller. His takedown defense is pretty sketchy for 80%. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but look, Kelleher is a stud, man. I mean, he's a, he's a solid grinder. Obviously, we know. You dive into that guillotine, man, you're getting choked out. And it's not just because of the Yuri Alcantara fight. You talk to a guy like Aljamain Sterling who used to train with Brian Kelleher. He'll tell you the same thing. This guy's got a vice grip with that guillotine. Now, the thing with Marlon Chito Vera is, you know, the kid used to train with you know, with cab drivers in Ecuador. He didn't train with real fighters ever since he moved to the U.S. Now he's training with guys like Joe Soto, Ian McCall. You know, he's got Coach Oyama with him. So, I mean, he's on a win streak for a reason here. And that fight with Ningguang Yu, he did fuck around a little bit. You know, his coaches had to be like, Cheeto, stop fucking around, man. But he did get the win. And then he goes out there against Pickett. And, you know, we can say short notice. You know, to a lot of people, one month means short notice. When I say short notice, I mean Monday of fight week. He got the call. Not just that he's going to fight Brad Pickett in the biggest fight of his life, but that he has to travel across the world to fight Brad Pickett in Brad Pickett's hometown in the biggest fight of his life. All right, so you get the call Monday. You fly over to, to England, you know, 12-hour flight. You know, Wednesday you got to check in. Friday you got to weigh in. Saturday you got to fight. Saturday night, he comes home with a 50K bonus. So you get the call Monday. You come back Sunday with a 50K bonus. That's, a, that's what a winner does, man. Now... You know, I love Marlon. He's a friend of mine. I hope he wins this fight. I don't really like betting on friends of mine unless it's James Vick because, you know, Vick, long-term Vick wins every fucking time. I mean, it was 7-1. So unless it's Vick, I don't really like betting on my friends unless, you know, they're fighting Pickett and Ning Wang Yu. But I, I do respect Kelleher a lot. You know what I mean? I think that this, this has the potential to be a very close fight. 
that being said, I think that somewhere along the way, I think that, look, Keller is going to get some takedowns in this fight. That, that's the bottom line. However, like I said, somewhere along the way, I think Marlon will find a way to win, whether he pushes off the fence and takes his back like he did against Ningguang Yu, whether it's a head kick in the third round like he did against Pickett, whether it's a triangle choke like he did against fucking Roman Salazar. I think that it's going to be close. It's going to be a nail-biter, but somewhere, somehow, Cheeto will find a way to finish Brian Keller. So I got Marlon Chito Vera. <laughs> now, next up, this is good, man. Eric Anders is making his UFC debut. He's minus 125. The comeback on Rafael Sapo Natal is plus 105. Now, we know dudes have been calling out Sapo for a long time. He's kind of like, you know, people love to call out Bisping, but when they don't call out Bisping, they call out Sapo. <laughs> Eric got Sapo. What do you think, man? You know, considering Rafael Natal's last two fights, the Rob Whitaker fight where he fought extremely tough, in my opinion, man, I thought that was his swan song, man. I thought he put everything into that fight, and it just wasn't good enough. And it's no shame that he's fighting Robert Whitaker, the champion. And, you know, when this fight got announced, I was looking at looking into Anders off the jump because after that fight with uh, Rob, he goes in there against Tim Bosch, and the way he's throwing his strikes just look completely awful, man. Like he's throwing the Elias flailing fist at you and it just looked it just looked like he's on his way out and you know Anders he's an up-and-coming kid I still think he's very green his fight in LFA you know he goes out there he wins those first three rounds and then the last two man it got a little hairy he was getting taken down completely gassed out against a guy you know who's no slouch as well so you know I wouldn't be shocked if Rafael Natal you know went out there and experienced him and you know survived an early onslaught and took him down and choked him choked him out in the third round but I think when Anders lands early in the first round, I think he's going to put Sapo out, man. I just think Rafael's on his way out. He's had a great career, but if you guys rewatch that Bosch fight, you'll know what I'm talking about. The, his facial reactions the second Bosch hit him, he was looking for that door. And uh, like and I said, and he, and he found it. And that Robert Whitaker fight, like I said, was his swan song. Y'all have been hearing Eric Anders on half the battle for the last year or two. I've known for a long time this guy's going to be in the UFC one day. He's a freak athlete. And when I say a freak athlete, you know, people like to talk about how he played college football and this and that. You know, oh, Matt Mitrione, you know, play, was on the bench and some, on some football team. Brendan Schaub, this and that. When we talk about Eric Anders, we talk about a guy that played when the Alabama Crimson Tide won the championship. He was on the field when they won. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what the kind of athlete we're talking about. Speaking of football, hey, Mitrione at least made it to the NFL, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. He yeah. didn't make it to the NFL, but this kid made it to yeah. the UFC, yeah. and, he, and he'll be sticking around <laughs> in the UFC, you know what I'm saying? But uh, the thing with, uh, with him, like, we got to mention that athleticism, but not only that, with that athleticism, it comes a certain mindset. Because you don't just get to that level by being born that way. You get to that level through hard work and dedication, and that's exactly what Eric Anders brings to the table, man. I mean, the kid... Well, I say the kid, he's 30 years old, but for that weight class, he's young, you know what I mean? Because there's only guys like the champion Robert Whitaker or Christoph Jocko or Kelvin Gastelum that are anywhere remotely near that age, you know what I mean? Everyone else is kind of on their way out. So Eric, if he can go out here and knock out a guy like Rafael Natal, he puts his name right in the mix. And I completely agree with you when you talk about how Rafael Natal's swan song was the Whitaker fight. Look, I was at that fight, UFC 197, and you know Whitaker clearly won every round, but Rafael fought his heart out, man. I mean, those leg kicks were tough, and he got dropped, but he got back up. That was like his title fight. That was that was everything that Rafael Natal had 
left in him. You know what I'm saying? And then he goes out there against Bosch, and uh, Bosch uh, feasted on the carcass straight up. You know what I'm saying? He took out the remains, and now... Now Eric Anders gets this debut. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's one of these things where Eric doesn't really set up his combos like Tim Bosch did. However, when Eric hits you, oh, you feel it. Not only are you gonna feel it, it comes out of nowhere. I mean, you know, you, you think yeah that he might be shooting for a takedown, then a left hook comes out of nowhere. So for Rafael to win this fight, it's he's got to use that veteran experience. He's got to do what Brennan Allen did in the last two rounds. But you don't get five rounds in this fight. This is a three round fight. That's why I think that. Rafael being the slow starter that he is. And also, he, he tends to gas late as well, man. So he's a slow starter, and he gasses late. So the prime time for Rafael to win the fight is in the middle of the fight, and I think it could be over by that point. So I do have Eric Anders. I, I would need dog money to make a bet, though. Yeah, I agree. And not to mention, we're talking about a guy in the tall who's been knocked out by... Boj, Tim Kennedy. We've seen him... Take Andrew Craig. Andrew Craig. We've seen him We've seen him flatlined a few times. And don't be surprised if it happens again. <laughs> Now, this one, I'm very excited about because we got Lyman Good. He's minus 190. The comeback on Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos is plus 165. Yeah, uh, Lyman Good, the former Bellator champion, and I'm talking like original Bellator champion, like back when it was Bellator 1, Bellator 5. You know, so he's somewhat of an a, a insider fight legend, I guess. I mean, considering his uh, credentials, but, you know, Zaleski Dos Santos, man, I've been high on this guy for a while. I mean, I know you remember when I bet on him against Omari, and, you know, I was a little bit worried about him getting taken down considering the fact in his debut, you know, Dalby won that fight by him, you know, going to his back too many times. And, you know, he goes out there, and when Omari takes him down, he's sweeping with leg locks and getting on top, working his way back up to his feet every single time, and, you know, doing what he does. He's uh, Zaleski Capoeira, you know, using those hard kicks and, that forward movement and landing the harder shots. And, you know, in this fight, not to mention that Lyman Good has been out for over two years now. You know, Why is that? Had, you know, a little USADA suspension. <laughs> but I'm not saying, because in my opinion, you know, I, I'm not going to say, but I, I still think he's uh, he's got a good doctor. Let's just put it that way. Um, look at his physique, you know. Lyman, Lyman's no slouch. His losses are only to the best. He lost to Ben Askren, who's undefeated. Rick Hahn, back when Rick Hahn was actually, you know, the man and um who else did he lose to? Uh, Andre Korshkov. So, I mean, his... his Ian uh, Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Stevens on top. And, you know, so this guy this guy's no slouch. But, you know, how I see this fight playing out is I actually see Lyman trying to utilize his wrestling in this fight. Really? I think uh, Zaleski's going to come forward and land some hard shots, bro. Like in the Nakamura fight, you know, Nakamura would take him down. And the second they got back up to the feet, what did Zaleski do? Come at him like a motherfucker, landing some hard leg kicks, hot, those high kicks and hard right hands. And Nakamura would feel it every time. And, you know, I don't think Lyman's uh, offensive takedowns are good enough to, you know, keep Zaleski down. His defensive ones sure as hell Exactly. So, you know, uh, I think uh, Zaleski's going to be able to get back up to his feet. His get-ups are getting better and better every time. In the crunch time of that Nakamura fight in the third round when Nakamura took him down, he ends up reverses, reversing him and gets up to his feet and suplexes Nak uh, Nakamura. So we know this guy's getting better, and I think he's going to win the stand-up exchanges on the feet as well. And, you know, Lyman can crack. Don't get me wrong. Lyman's one of those Tiger Shulman guys. We know how all their striking is. And I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, he got the better of the striking as well. But for a two-year layoff, this guy hasn't gotten – and he ain't fighting Andrew Craig anymore. And we're talking about 170-pound Andrew Craig with 
you know, this is a whole, this is a whole different, this ain't showing up at the gym no more, just put it that way, and, you know, I think Zaleski uh, got a little bit disrespected, I got it at plus 180, and, you know, I took that one unit shot, and uh, I think Zaleski's gonna get a late finish here. Zaleski straight up belly-to-back suplex Katara. One does not simply <laughs> belly-to-back suplex Katara, I'll yeah. tell you that right now, man, and I took uh, the shot at 180 as well, I took, I put two units on it, look, man, Lyman Good, you know, he is one of those Tiger Shulman strikers, but don't don't think about Shane Burgos, don't think about Jimmy Rivera, because this is, you know, he still has the hand fighting down, you know what I'm saying? He can still, uh, you know, slip and rip, he can still catch the punches, he can still trap your forearm, he can still, you know, land some devastating shots, and the dude's built like a fucking brick shithouse. They, I mean, don't, they don't call him Cyborg for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, he got popped by USADA, and even that didn't matter, because you look at his pictures, he's still just as ripped. You know, I heard it was a tainted supplement. <laughs> he has a very good manager is all I, and a good doctor is all I have to yeah. say about that. So let's just assume he shows up here as built as he normally is. Look, he was just that built for tough, and some guy we've never even heard of grinded him out. He's from Georgia, too, uh, Ian Stevens. Well, maybe I should have yeah. heard of him right now. But uh, some guy, Ian Stevens, grinds him out, and you know then Ian's, Ian Stevens loses to Zapata <laughs> that, that season of the Ultimate Fighter. You know, It's that kind of level. So it's one of those things where Zaleski... He might not be as fast and as explosive early on, but he's got that will, that heart, that pace, and the kicks are fucking hard. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. And I love how you mentioned how, you know, when he did get taken down, immediately he's attacking a heel hook, and he uses that heel hook to get back up to his feet or to get the top position. I love that kind of shit because, you know, it would suck if he was getting the better of the stand-up exchanges. Then, you know, then he gets taken down the last minute of the round. We lose the round like that. Like, remember uh, Joanne Calderwood winning four minutes of uh, oh, yeah. of the stand-up exchanges the and then the gets taken down yeah. at, at the end and loses the fight. And I'm not even going to complain about it, you know? Con it is, it yeah. is what it is, man. Yeah. But that's not going to happen here because Zaleski is able to sweep. He is able to get up. And he is he does have that, that will to win in the sense where if he feels like Maybe it's 1-1. Maybe I'm down 2-0. He's going to try to take you out in that third round. And his last two fights, one it's probably 1-1 against Omari, arguably 2-0 for either guy, to be honest. And, you know, what happened in that third round? He went after it. He went and he went and found that kill shot. And then against Nakamura, fights on the line. He gets taken down. He reverses him, suplexes him. And when he hits back... When he gets back to his feet, he's moving forward trying to get you out of there. And a fundamental difference as well is that, so like we said, you put Eliza Zaleski on his back, he's going to sweep, he's going to try to get back up. You put Lyman Good on his back, you know, for maybe 10 seconds you'll attack a triangle or this or that, but after that he accepts, you know, being in the bottom position and you can just grind him out for the rest of the round. So, man, best case scenario is we get on top of Lyman Good, he doesn't do jack shit, we win a 30-27, but I have a feeling it's going to get hairy. They're going to oh, stand and bang and uh, some hard shots are going to land. And when Lyman Good does start to slow down, I think that's when we can catch him with a spinning heel kick, a liver shot, maybe even take him down, get on top of him at the end of the rounds, whatever it takes. If it's a DQ, Zaleski, we'll <laughs> take the DQ, my man. So uh, I got two units at plus 180 on uh, Eliza Zaleski. I believe it should be, I mean, shit, at least minus 120 a piece, right? It should have been. I mean, when this fight got announced, we were talking about Zaleski, but, you know, we thought he was going to get a little bit more respect. We we understood the credentials of Lyman, you know, considering what he's done in his career. But Zaleski got outright disrespected here, man. He did. And, you know, 
I only put two units on it. I would put more because I know that it's going to be super hairy. It's going to be a firefight. Yeah, I respect what Lyman brings to the table. And also, you know, let's talk about the USADA thing once again. Yes, he did get suspended for two years, you know, for whatever it was. But he's still on that thing that he was on. That That's why... I'm not sitting here like champing at the bit, licking my chops like, oh, let's max bet Eliza and this and that because I know this dude's juiced out of his mind uh, or whatever is natural, so, you know, yeah. whatever it is, man. So just understand that. But steroids don't win fights, man. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like steroids ain't going to give him better cardio because it ain't EPO. He's steroids taking... don't put, uh, steroids don't help your chin. And steroids don't help your get up game either. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. So, uh. I got two units on Eliza Zaleski at plus 180, and uh, we'll see what happens. I hope I go out there and cash this underdog bet. Next up, this is a very interesting fight because I feel like people got to take off their fan caps for this one. We got Ryan LaFlaris minus 200, the comeback on Alex Cowboy Oliveira's plus 170. Now, look, as a fan, yeah, I love Cowboy Oliveira. How can you not? I mean, the dude... Uh, has three uh, <laughs> three kids with three different baby mamas, and then he does that little dance after he breaks Will Brooks' ribs. Like, I fucking love this guy. You know what I'm saying? He shows up six pounds overweight and then beats Will Brooks. I mean, I know that's kind of, you know, cocky and unsportsmanlike, but there's something I really liked about it. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's that, you know, Will Brooks was acting like he was the best and he's not even close to it. So when Cowboy went out there and broke him, I was kind of happy about that. And then also, you know, so he goes in there against Tim Means, and I, I still can't explain this to this day. So when I break down their first fight, I'm like, all right, this is what's going to happen, man. Cowboy in that clinch, he's so strong in there. The way he pushes you up against the fence, then he lands those big knees to the body, then he breaks you with those elbows, then he takes you down. And then it's Tim Means who was getting the better of the ground exchanges. He was taking down Cowboy. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, maybe I was just wrong about Cowboy. Maybe he really isn't that strong in the clinch. Maybe Tim Means is better. They rematch. I was like, you know what? I was just wrong. And then Cowboy does what I thought he would do the first time. So I just don't have a good read on this guy. But I know if he shows up in that clinch where he's an expert at throwing those knees, oh, my God, it's just he's one of those guys that we've talked about this in the past where I'm sure he injures his training partners. I'm sure dudes, you know, they, they kick him and then they break their foot type thing. You know what I'm saying? He knees them one time, they break their ribs. I mean, that happened in the fucking octagon against a specimen in Will Brooks. So the dude's really hard to look good against and really hard to beat. But the thing with Ryan LaFlair even though he's boring as fuck, he's effective as fuck. You know what I'm yeah. saying? This dude is a dude that beats Ponzinibbio. Yeah. Like, Gunnar Nelson couldn't even do shit to him. Don't give me no bullshit about no eye pokes. That fight was going down that way no yeah, matter what. Gonna, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that That straight, right? That put him on a street he didn't know the name of. That, you can't that, eye poke your that, chin. That wasn't an eye poke. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, uh, Ryan LaFleur beat that guy. And Ryan LaFleur got a 10-8 round against Damian Maia in the fifth round after getting dominated. But that's a different story. So... I think Ryan Flair, Ryan LaFleur can beat Cowboy for three straight rounds. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Cowboy goes out there and wins. I know he's a popular underdog play. How can you not love Cowboy? That fucking dance he does, the style he brings to the table. You'll fight anyone, anytime, any place. You'll take a fight on two-day short notice. I love Alex Cowboy. I got to go with the technical proficiency. But Ryan LaFleur, I just think he'll grind it out, man. I mean, we saw fucking Will Brooks full mountain in Cowboy and shit, but Cowboy found a way to win that one. I don't think he'll find a way to win this one. Yeah, this is a tough fight. You know, my history betting against Oliveira and betting on him isn't good, you know. When he fought Cowboy, the Cerrone Cowboy, you know, I bet him, lost. Then when he fought Mutashri, I bet Mutashri, lost. You know, I was thinking, you know, Mutashri could keep it on the outside and, you know, maybe land something flashy. It was a dumb bet in hindsight. But LaFleur, like you said, you know, not too many people are high on him because of style, but this guy's effective, man. His only loss is to Damian Maya. He he let us all down that night, you know, big time. 
But, you know, man, this guy moves forward, and, you know, Cowboy's strength is in that clinch, but LaFleur can fight in that clinch, too. And let me say one thing. The pace that LaFleur keeps up for three rounds is incredible. This guy's cardio is top-notch. Um, for example, in that Court McGee fight way back, I know it's Court McGee, but but he, um, but just rewatch it and watch that pace that he sets. Like the pace that he set was just unbelievable, nonstop left kick to the body, grinding against the fence, just being dirty, just straight up breaking them. And considering what that's what Court McGee does, that was impressive in my opinion. So I want y'all to go back and watch that just to see that pace. And you know, if he does that against a uh, Cowboy Oliveira, I see Oliveira breaking. I think LaFleur is actually going to win this fight very handedly, in my opinion. You know, I think he's going to go in there, beat Oliveira at his own game, get some key takedowns at the end of rounds, and, you know, I think he can beat him on the feet. You know, he he's a little chinny, you know, in that Mike Pierce fight. We saw him get wobbled a few times, and, you know, everyone's like, he got rocked by Mike Pierce, but Pierce Mike, Pier- Mike Pierce can crack one, and considering Mike Pierce's losses, Mike Pierce is a... Is a fair, a very good fighter in my opinion. His only losses are to the top guys when he lost to him. So, I think Lafleur won every round in that fight. To be honest, as well. So, I got Lafleur in this one. I'm with you, man. You know, I don't blame anyone for taking that shot on Oliveira, but I don't see any key advantages that he has in this fight. I think Lafleur can beat him in every aspect, and I think Lafleur has the better better cardio and the more. Let me not say the will to win, but just the better fight IQ to win key situations. Nah, we can keep it quick on this one. We got Chase Sherman. He's minus 255. The comeback on Damian Grabowski is plus 215. Now, Chase Sherman's got an unbelievable social media personality. <laughs> you know, his the gifts he posts are opportune. They're hilarious. He's funny as fuck. As far as his fighting is concerned, he doesn't move that head off the center line whatsoever. But what he does bring to the table are huge, nasty leg kicks. He's being gifted this fight because Damian Grabowski, I will go on record and saying, is probably the worst heavyweight on the roster. You and I both saw him die in person. I mean, look, we were at that fight where he fought Anthony Hamilton. It was bad. A lot of people didn't get to see this on TV. What they just saw was the knockout. They didn't see the fact that Anthony Hamilton, excuse me, that Damian Grabowski was out for seven straight minutes. Toes curling up, by the way. Like, his feet were shaking. His feet were shaking, toes curled up. And it was devastating, man. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to wake up. Dude, it was scary. Like, it's it's fucked up that two of the most vicious knockouts in UFC history, I was there for both of them. This one between Hamilton and Grabowski and the other one, uh, Mike Perry versus Jake Ellenberger. Like, Bruce Buffer's announcing the winner and these dudes are still out cold. Like, yeah. shit was scary. So I was like, if this dude ever comes back again, I'll fade him. But obviously I'm not going to fade him at minus 255 with Chase Sherman. But I do think this is the UFC's way of being like, you know what? We appreciate the fact that... You're popular, you're gaining you're, notoriety. You're building a name for yourself, you're, you know. A fun fighter. You're getting yourself out there. You know what, why don't you just take this guy out for us? You know, they should have cut Grabowski a long time ago, but they're saving him for situations like this where they can give Chase Sherman an easy win. We'll see how easy it really is when it comes down to fight, but on paper it is an easy win. And you know, it's funny, my wrestling coach, Scott Barrett, actually fought Damian Grabowski, and you know what he told me? So he said, look, I beat this guy up for 13 minutes of the fight, he got on top one time, and they scored the fight for him. And then it turns out, you know, it was one of the largest Polish populations in the country. You know, there's a little little something-something going on under the table. That's why Damien won that fight. Because if you look at Damien's record, it's like, what, 21-3? and three? Yeah. You look at that record, you're like, damn, this dude's a stub. But then you look deeper into it, and you realize why he won those fights. And you also realize why he'll never win a fight in the UFC. So I got Chase Sherman via knockout. Yeah. Grabowski is what we like to refer to on half the battle as a jobber, you know. 
His game mainly consists of clinching you up, putting you against that fence. But in the Anthony Hamilton fight, he chose to just come out there and straight bang, and, you know, he paid the price for it. 14 seconds yeah, in. Exactly. You know, Trey Sherman, I think he's a fun fighter, very exciting, but I couldn't trust the guy at minus 255, like you said, doesn't move his head. You know, against Rashad Coulter, he has Coulter on the ropes, and they come out in that second round, or all he has to do is, you know, jab, jab, leg kick, and... Next thing you know, he's abandoning, abandoning the leg kick, and he's, like, trying to bang with him. And it's like, bro, bro, what are you doing, you know? So, you know, I can't trust him. You know, I do think Chase will, you know, find a way. But I, let me say this. I, I kind of feel like this could be that trap, you know, where everyone thinks, like, Grabowski's completely done. But let's say, for instance, you know, him and he doesn't get knocked out in the first round. And maybe let's say Sherman gasses out and he finds a way to get a takedown. You know, I feel like it could be one of those type of fights, you know. Just because it's it's a little bit too simple in my opinion, but I got Sherman. I could never pick Grabowski in a fight, man. I mean, this guy, you know, against Black Beast Lewis, you know, he's coming in twenty and two, and he's the Polish pit bull. So you know, we're thinking he's probably a good heavyweight. And then I'm looking at the tape, and I'm like, this guy's a jobber, man. So he's one of those European heavyweights that you know have no business being in here. But uh, I think Sherman will get the win. All right. Well, it's time for the main card now. Officially, Jimmy Rivera versus Tomas Almeida is the first fight of the main card, but as far as we're concerned, that's the co-main event of the evening. So let's talk about the real first fight of the night, and that's Jean Volante, or as we like to say in Brazil, Jean Volante. He's minus 165. The comeback on Pat Cummins is plus 145. Now, basically, I can see this fight going down two ways. To put it simply, either Jean Volante is going to knock Pat Cummins out or Pat Cummins is going to grind Jean Volante out. And I'd have to lean with Jean Volante knocking Pat out because, I mean, when you train that wrestling with Chris Weidman, I think you're going to be ready for a guy like Pat Cummins. I know it's not the same Chris Weidman. I know a lot of things have changed, but it's still the D1 All-American. You're still And you still put in years with him. It's not like you just started training with him and you started training with a diminished version. You train with the stud prime Chris Weidman too. So, you know, he knows how to defend takedowns. The dudes that beat Jean Volante are the dudes that go out there and knock him out. And Pat Cummins isn't really that kind of guy. Pat Cummins is scared to get hit. Pat Cummins is training with Antonio Tarver. Now, I cannot imagine the kind of damage he's taken in that camp, man. He's probably lost his other tooth, you know what I'm saying? So I just think that, you know, maybe maybe Volante gasses, maybe uh, Pat takes him down, grinds him out. I think Volante is going to find a way to knock him out. I would not play this price. When it was plus 100, Volante, okay. then I mean, I wouldn't play this, period, because it's fucking Volante and Cummins. I don't trust either of those guys whatsoever. That being said, I do think Avalante is going to put a nice little uh, punch on Pat Cummins' chin and tuck him to bed. You know, like you said, Cummins been training with Antonio Tarver, and, you know, Cummins striking still sucks. But I think if he was ever going to have any success on the feet, it would be this fight because Volante is the type of guy that, you know, when he goes out there and he fights Tom Lawler, right off the bat, Tom Lawler's landing that check right hook. And, you know, a lot of fighters would have adjusted and, you know, circled to the other side or, you know, just made an adjustment. And he's continually walking into it. Then he goes in there against, you know, Shogun. No, eh, There's no shame in that. Shogun's a legend. Shogun's a better striker. He had some success. He rocked Shogun as well, but we know what happened. But then he goes in there against uh, the Russian, Sap Saprovov or... Saperbeck Saparov. Sa yeah. And I mean that was so bad, bro. Like Hold he's throwing on. rear that, uppercuts. That was so bad. He's punching himself <laughs> in the face yeah, in that fight. Like he's throwing rear uppercuts, getting caught by a guy who's on one leg at the time. And you know, Volante he does have some hard leg kicks, but man, I think if Cummins was ever gonna 
you know, gain some confidence in a striking and be this one because Volante will engage you in that sloppy brawl. He doesn't make adjustments. But like you said, man, when Cummins gets hit, his when he's not fighting, you know, Jan Blakovich, who arguably is the worst light heavyweight besides, like, Igor. Jan almost knocked him <laughs> yeah. out. And, you know, Jan's not very high on my uh, on my list at all. I think Jan shouldn't be in the UFC. I mean, he's lost, like, five of his last six fights. And, you know, we know how his cardio is. He He's the type of guy that puts his hand on his on, on his knees in the middle of a fight, you know. So <laughs> it's that's almost as worse as Watterson tapping, in my opinion. So, you know, that's how I view him, but. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if Cummins pulled this off, man. I, I just think John's on his way out. I think so he's severely punch drunk. Cummins is on his way out as well, but he's, he's still... severely punch drunk, <laughs> But he's... The, the, the difference, in my opinion, is Jan has so many years of, you know, being Chris Weidman's punching bag, you know, prime Chris Weidman, of just probably, you know, getting his ass beat. Not saying that Cummins... Cummins trained at King's MMA for, like, a long time, so... imagine <laughs> Doom what, probably smoked Or Doom, Shogun, Master Hafael. I, I bet you Benny knocked him out, too. <laughs> so those, those dudes are playing with him, and then, you know, he, he goes down there to, you know, Combat Club and Neil Melanson, you know. Imagine what dudes like imagine Volcan Rumble. and Rumble are doing to him, and, you know, Linton Vassell, you know, just probably, you know, touching him up, so... I bet you Des Green's in there yeah, knocking him so out. It's a it's a pass fight, but, you know, I was looking at John... You know, at plus 100 just because if he stuffs the takedown, which he is known for, you know, he probably should be able to put him out. But it's going to be way too hairy, and I don't trust either guy, but the pick is Volante. And, uh, but don't be surprised if Cummins wobbles uh, John here. Dennis Bermudez is minus 210. The comeback on Darren Elkins is plus 175. Now, Darren Elkins was a plus 600 underdog. His last fight against the very hyped Mirsad Bektik, he went out there and knocked him out in the third round. We know Dennis Bermudez gets dropped, not just against, you know, Max Holloway or Korean Zombie. He gets dropped against everyone. I'm talking Tommy Hayden. I'm talking, uh, what's the name of the Matt dude? Matt Grice. Matt Grice. I'm talking all those dudes. Yeah. Who you got here? Even though, you know, Bermudez gets dropped in every single fight, I think this is a, a very good matchup for him. You know, Elkins did pull off that upset against Merced after getting... A hellacious beating for two rounds. I mean, he got dominated in every single aspect of the game. And, you know, I don't see any advantages that he has in this fight besides his chin. And, you know, even though he did knock out Mursad, Elkins ain't known for his power. He, he's just he's not that one-punch knockout guy. I fade Bermudez against guys like Jeremy Stevens, for example, guys that I know that can, you know, consistently stuff those takedowns and then put them out on the feet. And I think Bermudez is better in every aspect. I think he's faster. I think he's more powerful. I think he's the better wrestler. I think their cardio is about the same. I don't think Bermudez is going to – he does slow down a little. I'll give Elkins the advantage in the cardio department. Elkins does not slow down at all. But I just think uh, Bermudez is going to land the more effective shots on the feet, you know, land the more powerful shots, hurt Elkins, you know, cut him. Elkins cuts very easily. But, hey, if Elkins can find that one punch, that's the only way I see him winning this fight. I see Bermudez having an advantage in every aspect. So my pick is Bermudez. I'm going to go the opposite way. Look, I understand why a lot of people are picking Bermudez because on paper he is the better fighter, but not on paper. You know, just watch the film. Gets dropped every single fight, and I'm not talking about against power punchers. I'm talking about against anyone. Tommy Hayden, Matt Grice, all these dudes are out there dropping him. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Jimmy Hedis dropped him, but he fucking killed Jimmy Hedis. Yeah, but uh, anyways, with Darren Elkins, man, he's really putting it all together these days, and it's more so that 
he is kind of getting familiar with his own style. He knows that, look, my name is the damage for a reason. I'm gonna take that ass whooping up front. And then when you're wondering, when you're asking yourself, why hasn't this guy gone down? Why is he still coming forward? Why is he still in my face? That's when Darren Elkins starts to turn up. And against certain guys, that's not gonna work. You put Darren Elkins there against Max Holloway, that, <laughs> that shit ain't gonna work. But you put him in there against a guy like Bermudez, who, like I said, gets dropped every single fight and historically gasses when fights go late. Look at the Jeremy Stevens fight. I think that this actually has the recipe for an upset. I'm just scared to play it because I know it's going to be so, it's going to be grimy. It's going to be sweaty. It's going to be one of those things where, you know, it might be 2 nothing. Bermuda's going to the third and we need that finish to win the fight type thing. And, and maybe Bermuda, and maybe Elkins puts it on him in that third round but loses the decision. You know, and I'd, I'd hate to lose a bet that way. I'm staying away. But my pick for Topmaster and for everything else, man, I'm going uh, with the underdog. I think Elkins is going to find that chin, which has been found many, many <laughs> times. And I think that... This will be the first time, uh, I believe, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but this will be the first time Darren Elkins has two knockouts back-to-back -back oh, yeah, on sure. his career. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got uh, I got to do with the best tattoo in the UFC. <laughs> <laughs> now, next up, the co-main event of the evening. This fight is just unbelievable. I wish I would have sat back as a fan, but, you know, I, you know I had a bet on the guy I've been calling a future champ for the last however many years. We got... Jimmy Rivera, he's minus 210, the comeback on Tomas Almeida is plus 175. Now, Shaq, just an unbelievable fight. You know, there's only so many times we get fights like this. You know, Robert Whitaker versus Yoel Romero was one of them, and now it's Tomas Almeida versus Jimmy Rivera. This is just one of those fights that you call your friends that don't even watch the sport, and you tell them, turn it on uh, Channel 5 Fox, because uh, Tomas Almeida and Jimmy Rivera are about to throw it down so one guy falls. Who's going to be the guy that falls? You know, this is a, uh, it's a very tough fight for Jimmy Rivera, but I think he's going to get the job done. I think he's going to fight smart, fight safe. And, you know, I think a key part of this fight could be his takedowns. I think he's the better guy on the mat. But I think he's going to win on the feet as well. Thomas Almeida is an offensive juggernaut. Everything he throws on the feet is vicious. But defensively, like a guy like we mentioned earlier, Shane Burgos, he's very defensively flawed. I mean, this guy... You know, he'll get hit and he will feel it. I mean, Brad, the Brad Pickett fight, for example, you know, he's getting caught with that left foot. By the way, which is Jimmy Rivera's best punch? And Jimmy's got a speed advantage in this fight. And I think he's got a power advantage as well. When you're fighting guys like Anthony Burchek, Albert Morales, Brad Pickett, Eves Jabwayne, uh, Tim Gorman, I feel like you're power could be a little bit overrated i mean those guys are all on their way out and those guys are nowhere near the level of jimmy rivera and jimmy rivera has fought way better competition he goes in there in his second fight against pedro munoz in brazil in brazil as the underdog and that first round he rocks pedro and i mean i want you guys to go watch go back and watch the speed at which he's operating at man those left hooks and those straight rights are just coming at a, w a way different speed that Thomas is used to. And the one time that Thomas Deal ha had to deal with this, some speed like that against Cody Garbrandt, we saw what happened. I mean, Cody touched him up every single time he let his hands go. And, I mean, I mean, I, I was wrong in that fight. You know, I picked Thomas. I, You know, I had a lot on Thomas at the time. And, you know, I, I paid the price. And, you know, I think Jimmy's going to do the same thing. I think he's going to circle. I think he's going to hurt Thomas early. And I think Thomas is going to slowly get discouraged. And I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Jimmy decided to utilize that offensive wrestling here and, you know, seal off rounds. And I think Thomas's only chance to do this is by putting Jimmy to sleep. Jimmy has an incredible recovery time. When he got hurt by Pedro, you saw how fast he recovered. 
when Yuri briefly dropped him, you see him quickly, quickly bounce back up. So it's going to be hard to put this guy to sleep. And uh, I think Jimmy's uh, going to be in a uh, title fight soon, man. These are two of my all-time favorite bantamweights. You don't often see a fight with guys with records like this. I mean, this is like, they got boxing records. And what I mean by that is 21 and one versus 20 and one. Like who the fuck has records like that at the highest level of MMA? And it's Jimmy Rivera and Tomas Almeida. What I love about Tomas Almeida is that, you know, at first it's kind of like Anderson Silva in the sense that, you know, he won't throw anything that first minute, you know, he kind of gauges your timing sees where you're coming from, but then if you start to slow down even a little bit against Tomas Almeida, he paints a picture with the way that he finishes you. I mean, firstly, that overhand right to the back of the head, I've been talking about it for years on Half the Battle. It's an unbelievable punch. I mean, you hit Jimmy with that, even even our boy Jimmy will get wobbled by that, man. You know what I'm saying? So Jimmy's got to be very defensively uh, careful and responsible, which he is. He usually always is, man. Now, like I said, Tomas paints a picture. He's an artist. When he starts teeing off and finishing guys, the straight punches down the middle, then he mixes up that left hook to the body, then the, uh, knee. the knee, the, the elbow, elbow <laughs> everything, man. He's unbelievable. He'll spin. And like I said, you start to cower against this guy. Now, you watch the fight with Burchak. Unbelievable knockout, right? Straight right down the pipe, put him out cold. But there's a fun, there's a fundamental difference. You know, someone can say, "Oh, that's Burchek. Yeah, but that's not the fundamental difference. The fundamental difference is that Burchek was squaring up his stance. And what I mean by squaring up his stance is that his feet are parallel. Like he's literally just like just stand up straight right now and then look at how your feet are are parallel. That's how Anthony Burchek's fight stance was when shit got real against Tomas Almeida. As you guys know, if you've been watching fights, you know, whether you're a Southpaw or an Orthodox, one foot's in front of the other, right? You know what I'm saying? You're getting, you get in your fight stance. <laughs> Fucking Anthony Burchek was squaring up his stance with Albert Morales, good friend of the show. I love this kid. He's got a bright future, but he wasn't ready for that fight at the time. And, you know, he did some good stuff early on, but once uh, he started gassing out a bit and Tomas started putting it on him, same thing. Starts squaring up his stance, starts covering up, starts kind of running away. That That's not going to happen with Jimmy, man. If you're going to hurt Jimmy, you're going to drop him and he'll get right back up. If he's so hurt that he can't get right back up and you finish him, hey, Tomas, you are the fucking man. But do I see him having one of those, you know, 30-punch combo, you know, finishing combos against Jimmy? Hell no, I don't, man, because Jimmy's not going to square his stance. Jimmy's not going to lose position. Jimmy's going to keep circling. He's going to have his hands up in the air. He might get rocked once or twice like he did against Pedro. But what you got what you got to remember about the Pedro fight was that those shots Pedro took, you know, before he was able to land some of his own, those are the same shots that would put out, you know, half the roster. I have no idea how Pedro Munoz survived that. But as you've seen in all of Pedro's fights, his chin is stupid. Pedro is just unbelievable with that. Tomas, I love Tomas, but I don't think he can take a shot as well as Pedro Munoz. And also, once again, I got to reinforce this. Pedro had to go through hell to be able to land his own shots in that second round. I mean, he got dropped a couple times. He got dropped in the first. He got dropped in the second. Somehow he came back. He lands his shot, drops Jimmy in the second. Jimmy comes back. One thing I love about Jimmy, there's a lot of things I love about Jimmy. That left hook, it's unbelievable. The way he sets it up. And there's footage. Oh, yeah, the leg kicks are great, too. I mean, you saw what he did to Faber. Now, there's footage of him sparring with actual real boxers. I'm not talking about guys that have good boxing for MMA. I'm talking about real, legit boxers. And they slow the footage down. You can see the subtle head movement that Jimmy brings to the table. This is stuff that Tomas Almeida doesn't have, man. What Tomas does have is that arsenal of strikes is unbelievable. But he's so defensively flawed that 
you need a guy like Jimmy Rivera to make him pay. And that's what Jimmy does, man. That left hook is going to be money. I'm not sure if he's going to be using too many leg kicks, but I do think he'll use that rear uppercut because he is one of the few guys, not just on the UFC roster, but in the MMA world that can effectively use the rear uppercut. If you want an example of who can't, watch Jean Volante sometime. Yeah, exactly. But... Or what? You know who I like a lot? I like Kevin Lee a lot. But if you watch his fight with Leo Santos, he threw the rear uppercut without setting it up, and he paid for it. Jimmy Rivera's not going to throw a rear uppercut without setting it up. Everything Jimmy does is calculated. It's stuff that they've drilled hundreds of times. And, you know, the most important thing here is that I think he's a lot faster than Tomas Almeida. I think he's smarter than Tomas Almeida. I think he's more defensively responsible than Tomas and I think he's going to catch him, man. Now, I know it's, uh, you know, minus 200. And I don't often do parlays, but I did here. I said Shane Burgos. And uh, guess who I parlayed Shane Burgos with? I parlayed him with Jimmy Rivera, 3.1 units. I got it at minus 101, which I think is a pretty decent price. Listen, I respect Tomas so much. He's one of my all-time favorite fighters. There's a reason I'm not max betting this. Not because he's one of my all-time favorite fighters, but because I respect and I acknowledge how dangerous he is. He can end anyone's night in that division. But the Cody Garbrandt fight, the Brad Pickett fight, the Anthony Burchak fight, the Morales fights all showed me that, you know, it wasn't a fluke that Garbrandt knocked him out. Like, that that's what was supposed to happen. You know, a lot of my friends were telling me, like, look, Pickett showed that his boxing actually ain't, ain't that good. And I didn't want to listen because, you know, I wanted Tomas to be this world champion. And, I, you know, I was like, yeah, he's going to kill Cody. Cody showed what people have been telling me for a long time about Tomas Almeida and his defensive response liabilities. Jimmy's going to exploit that. Jimmy's got what it takes, man. I think Jimmy uh, is a future world champion. I think both of them can be champions, but I think Jimmy's going to get there first. I think he knocks out one of my favorite fighters, Tomas Almeida, with a left hook. It's going to be uh, sad, but it's going to be an amazing fight while it lasts. Yeah, man. I, I can't wait for that fight. The main event of the evening. You ready for this shit? We got Kelvin Gastelum. He's minus 160. The comeback on Chris Weidman is plus 150. You remember when... Uh, Man, Chris Weidman at one point, he was making a case. He could have gone down as the greatest middleweight of all time. I mean, not only does he go out there and the 16-fight UFC win streak and 10 title defenses, might I add, Shaq, of Anderson Silva, but he beat Machida back when it was a big deal to beat Machida. And, man, I mean, the way he beat Munoz at the time, Maya. I mean, Chris Weidman at one point, you know, he's a guy that in college wrestling, he beat Phil Davis and Ryan Bader. He arguably beat Andre Galvo in a in a jiu-jitsu competition. I mean, at one point, Chris Weidman, and remember when we were talking about him, like, man, this guy's a huge middleweight. Imagine him versus John Jones as a, a Battle of New York. Let's see who the real pound-for-pound pound number one guy is. How the times have changed, Shaq. Yeah, um, this is the fight game. This happens. The fight with Rockhold, I mean, it changed his life forever. When, you know, Herb didn't stop that fight in time, he just took some unnecessary punches punches to the Some. head yeah <laughs> you know like 50 60 unanswered strikes to the head but uh since that fight you know he goes in there against Joe Romero he looks fairly good the first round still not the same but he wins the first round and then that second round man his cardio is just like out the door he's starting to feel every I mean I know it's Joe Romero but the old Chris Weidman you know he'd feel things and just keep moving forward he just had that constant pressure and he always you know made you feel his presence and, you know, I feel like he's lost a lot of weight and size recently, man. I mean, now this guy can make 170, he says. So as far as the fight goes, though, I see Chris winning the first round probably because his wrestling, that single leg is still one of the best single legs I've ever seen. It's still, it's he's still got that in him. But, 
You know, I think that cardio will go out the door in the second round, like we saw in the Gegard Musasi fight. You know, the second Musasi worked his way back up to his feet, Weidman's huffing and puffing big time. And then he's on the verge of getting finished with three straight jabs to the face. So that just shows me where he's at in his career. And Kelvin, now that he's at 185, I think we're going to start seeing the best of him. Even though I know he's undersized, I feel like that's a good thing in this fight because Weidman, who's a slower, flat-footed 185er, the in-and-out movement, those straight shots. You remember the Hendricks fight, the way Kelvin came out? You remember the way he came out against Rick Story? Those early, like those straight hard left kicks, the straight left, and just the in-and-out movement. I think that's going to play a big factor. So don't even be surprised if Kelvin just comes out here and smokes him in the first round. But the way I see it happening, Chris winning the first round, but rounds two, three, four, if it lasts that long, I see Kelvin just completely taking over just with the in-and-out movement, the better cardio, and the ability to stuff the takedowns. I know he got taken down by Neil Magny, and Kelvin's improved since then. And Neil Magny like, is, a, is a bigger welterweight, and Chris is going to be bigger than Kelvin here. But I think he's learned from that. And not to mention, he beat Neil's ass the last two rounds. So, but uh, if Wadman can pull this off, that'll be impressive. But I got Kelvin, minus 140, you know, three units to win 2.14. And uh, I think he's going to get it done, third round TKO. You know, I'd love to sit here and be like, you know, all the surgeries, all the injuries, all these things, all the wars caught up to Wadman. But I'd be totally full of shit if I said that. And I'm not going to sit here and uh, sugarcoat anything. I'm not going to be PC about it. I'm just going to be real with it. Weidman is a victim of USADA. I don't care what anyone says. My eyes do not deceive me. I mean, go watch uh, Weidman versus Machida. And then go watch... You guessed that in that phase. I, I know, yeah. but still. Watch Weidman versus Machida. And then watch Weidman versus Musasi. Back to back. And tell me that's the same guy. Look me in the eye with a straight face. And tell me that's the same guy. Because it's not even remotely close to being the same guy. The guy that fought Machida... That was like this big stud that we're all like, man, this guy could make 205. This guy is going to reign for a very long time. And even in that fight, he gassed and got teed off on. We'll talk about that in a second. But at that point, I was singing the praises for Chris Weidman. And it's not that he took one L that made me be like, oh, yeah, maybe he's not that good. It has nothing to do with the fact that he took a couple Ls. It has to do with the fact that he fucking shrunk. Why, why, like, this is a dude used to walk around 230 pounds. Like I said, we were like, man... He could fight at 205 against Bones, this and that. Now we're talking about maybe he could go to 170. You know what I'm saying, dude? And another thing, I know he gassed out around the you know the fourth round, the fifth round against Machida. Okay, no big deal. You know, you, you still went three rounds hard, man. Nowadays he's gassing out halfway into the first round, like against Musasi. I mean, I don't know if he ain't got his EPO or what the deal is, man. I know I'm gonna get a lot of trouble for the way I'm talking, but I'm just keeping it real, man. This dude needs his uh, his Flintstone vitamins. It's usually the guys who are the most vocal against it that are on it. That's something I've noticed, you know, my 10 years in the fight game. And uh, I truly 100% believe that Chris Weidman is suffering uh, from this new testing. And that's going to be an issue here because, look, you watch that fight against Luke Rockhold. You know, some people are like, oh, it was so competitive until he threw that kick. Don't give me a fucking break. Rockhold was clearly Rockle was clearly winning that fight. I mean, what, Weidman, my, you can make an I argument mean, Weidman won the first round? That's no, it? Weidman won the first round, but it it looked like a war just because of the faces Luke was making. Like, Luke was grimacing. I think he might have been injured at some point in the fight. But from the second round on, Luke was blasting him with the left kick. Weidman was feeling all the body kicks, all the head kicks. And Luke was getting the better of the grappling as well. So uh, I didn't think it was – Luke was winning the fight. It, 
it looked a little tough, but we know who the winner was. And I think you said this. That was Luke Swan song. Luke yeah. never came back ever again. Exactly. I mean, he did, and Michael Bisping knocked him out. Yeah. And we haven't heard from him yeah, since. I think that was just Luke Swan song. He put everything into that fight. And, you know, Weidman as well. That might have been his Swan song. Weidman's swan song to me was the Machida fight because, I mean, you saw his fight with Belfort after that and Belfort's teeing off on him. What the fuck yeah. was up with that? And he looked a little smaller there too yeah. because you're, that was around the time, it was before USADA, but it was right when they banned TRT. So you yeah. remember Vitor, Vitor looked himself, skinny yeah. and Weidman was calling him he out fe- for certain things at the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. He feasted on the carcass of an old man, you know? Yeah, but then the real testing came in after that fight and you saw how Weidman shrunk against uh, against Luke. You know, at first I didn't think much of it. I was like, oh, you know, he had, a, he had an off night. He goes in there against Yoel and it's funny. People are like, he's up 2 nothing. Yeah, bullshit, he was up 2 nothing. Yoel took his back in the second round. <laughs> Yoel took, took over that second <laughs> round and started uh, ragdolling Chris Weidman in the third round and knocks him dead with a, with a knee. So let's go back to the Rockhold fight. That fight should have been stopped in the third round, not because, you know, not because you know a belt's on the line, this and that, because you want to, you want to preserve Wadman's career. I mean, he was taking so many unanswered shots, and Herb was like, "Well, he's the champion. I'm going to give him every chance." Because at that point, Wadman was so tough, he could overcome adversity. But as you saw, uh, it's not the case anymore, man. And you know, he took too much unnecessary punishment. I mean, he already got concussed in round three. Then they're letting him come out for round four, and, I mean, he got fucking... I don't know if you can get multiple concussions in one night, but uh, let's just say the concussion didn't get any better. I'll tell you that right now, Shaq. Uh, That fight was a life-changer. You don't often see life-changers, but that was a life-changer. And clearly it was, because he never came back the same. So you mix in USADA with that Luke Rockhold beatdown, then he comes back against Yoel. We know what happened. Yoel, you know, kneed his face into, (laughs) into the 10th row. And he comes back against Musasi. Now, in Wadman's prime, Musasi is a fucking hand-picked great matchup for him. I mean, you saw Musasi versus King Mo. You saw Musasi versus Jacare. You know Musasi ain't really known for stuffing takedowns, and he doesn't do good against high-level grapplers. Wideman's prime. He goes out there, he beats Musasi. I promise you that. I actually bet on Wideman in that fight at, like, plus 120 or whatever it was because I was like, you know, even though Wideman's been looking like shit, Musasi doesn't tend to stuff takedowns from guys like this. And, you know, at first, Wadman was getting takedowns, but, you know, Musasi throws a jab or two, not not a knee, not an uppercut, not a left hook, a jab or two, and he's wobbling Wadman. Wadman doesn't know where he is after taking two jabs, and then Wadman starts covering up. And I actually think Musasi was sick or injured going into that fight. And the reason why, Shaq, is because, so Musasi rocks him with a jab, and then he shoots for a takedown? Like, do you remember when Dan Hardy fought Mike Swick and he would hurt Mike Swick on the feet and then he'd shoot for takedowns and we'd be like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You just hurt this guy. Knock him out. Musashi was pulling that same shit. We're like, bro, you just rocked a grown man who was once known for his durability, who could once take, you know, clean shots by Anderson Silva and smile at him. Do you remember in that Anderson Silva fight when Anderson was punching Chris Weidman and Chris Weidman was taunting him? Chris Weidman was putting his forehead out to Anderson's fist. He's like, all right, come on, hit me. Hit me, motherfucker. We're talking about that guy. Now he can't even take jabs against Musasi. I know Musasi's got a beautiful jab, but when we talk about a beautiful jab, we talk about closing a guy's eye, such as Talos Latus. We talk about, you know, making Uriah Hall scared to throw the spin kicks. We don't talk about guys getting wobbled from those jabs, and fucking Weidman was getting straight up wobbled. And uh, then, you know, he takes one or two knees, and, and he starts saying that it's February when it's really April. The guy... Either way, if he was if he was trying to milk it or... Either way, if he was trying to milk it or if he was trying to, or if he was really hurt, I mean, it's... Both are bad, because one, 
He's looking for a way out if he's not really that hurt, which is something Weidman would have never done in his prime. Weidman was one of the toughest guys in that division. Or two, he was really hurt, which is a big possibility because you saw the, the first two fights before that. I mean, the dude isn't as durable as he used to be. He shrunk. I haven't even spoken about Kelvin Gastelum yet. Let's talk about this kid, Kelvin. So, you know, he had issues at 170 making way, even though I thought he was a stud at 170. 185 is the right move for him. He won the ultimate fighter at 185. He beat Uriah Hall and Nate Marquardt at 185. So people are like, oh, I don't know if he's going to beat Tim Kennedy, though. And then, you know, I bet that at like 160 or whatever it was. And he fucking smoked Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy took him down, took his back at first. Watch how... Kelvin, even, yeah. watch how Kelvin scrambled out of that. That's some Eddie Bravo jujitsu right there. Because I know people are talking about, well, even in Weidman's losses, he takes his opponents down. It's like, yeah, he doesn't do shit with those takedowns. The opponents get right back up. I guarantee you, if he takes the back of Kelvin Gastelum, Kelvin will fight the hands and he'll expertly get out of it, just like he did whenever he's been in bad positions in the past. And plus, Weidman doesn't have the same finishing ability he once did. I mean, it's it's long gone because. The dude had the size. The dude had the confidence. The dude had the durability. All those three things are gone, Shaq. He shrunk. He can't take the same shots he used to. And he's not confident anymore. You watch the countdown video. Now, l listen to, to the verbiage that uh, Weidman used here. So, back in the day, he would have been like, I must finish Kelvin Gastelum in Long Island, right? I, I must finish this guy. Here he was saying, I can't let this guy beat me up in front of my home crowd. So... John Jones once said a famous quote, and he said this back when he fought Ryan Bader. He said, you can hear a man's thoughts through his words. And I truly believe that because if, if Chris Wadden was confident, he'd be talking about how, oh, I'm going to finish Kelvin Gastelum. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. What he's talking about is, I can't afford to lose. I can't afford to get beat up. So the words that are playing into his mind are lose, beat up, all these, all these negative things that you don't want in a confident guy's mindset. Whereas you talk to Kelvin, he's like, I'm going to finish this guy. It's all he's business. I want my title shot. I'm going to put him away in the first. I know he's hungry, but I'm hungry too. Like, that's what Kel That's the self-talk Kelvin's having. Chris Weidman's like, I can't afford to get beat up in front of my... Bro, don't be talking like that, man. That's not the mindset of a world champion. He's so far gone, man. I mean, I don't know where else to go with this. Did I cover everything? He shrunk. He's not as durable. He's not as confident. He gets wobbled by jabs. Well, he can get a takedown, and I know for a fact Kelvin's going to get back up. So I think it's going to be a first-round finish. I know everyone thinks it's going to go later. Let's say it goes later. Right, let's talk about Kelvin Gastelum, man, because I've just been talking about Weidman. I love the southpaw stance. Very educated body kick, as all those dudes from King's MMA have. Also, he sets up his jab, and you know what I love about that? It's not just, you know, two jabs. It's not just the 1-1. One, one. It's not just the 1-2. I mean, he'll throw the jab, then he'll throw the lead uppercut, then he'll come in with a straight cross, then he'll mix it up to the head. I love this dude's combinations. And, I mean, if he has to, he can take you down too. And I bet you, if Chris Weidman's gassed out and uh, and and Kelvin's uh, teeing off on him a little bit, don't be surprised if Weidman gets taken down. Now, that's not what I'm predicting to happen here. I'm predicting Kelvin's going to knock him out. Just I'm just saying, don't, don't be surprised if he sneaks in a takedown for good measure just to be like, yeah, I took down that guy, Chris Weidman, who was once, you know, known as the D1 All-American stud. With, those days are long gone. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the management thing. You know, a lot of people are shitting on Chris Weidman's management. And I don't think you should because, look, Audi Attar, I got a lot of respect for that guy. He, he knows what the fuck he's doing. There's a reason Chris Weidman keeps taking these tough fights. You know what that is, Shaq? Chris Weidman ain't cheap. 
Chris, it costs a lot to bring Chris Weidman to a fight, so you can't afford to give him a Tim Bosch fight. You can't afford to give him a Rafael Natal fight. Every single Chris Weidman fight is a main or co-main event. Now someone's going to be like, well, what about Madison Square Garden when he opened up the pay-per-view? Yeah, there's two title fights on that card, one of them being Conor... Oh, three title fights, one of them being Conor McGregor. That's why he, you know, he wasn't the co or the main event. Aside from that... Like I said, Chris Weidman ain't cheap. It cost him a lot of money just to show up. You saw the countdown. You saw that house Chris Weidman has. It, it ain't cheap to pay the bills on a house like that. I'll tell you that, that right now, Shaq. So that's why every single fight he's in is a co or a main event. And that's why they can't afford to bring him in, you know, a Tim Bush, a Rafael Natal, you know, so, someone like that to come in and take an L so, so Chris can get his confidence back. They have to keep giving him top-line fighters because he gets paid like a top-line fighter. It's a... Sad, unfortunate reality of the fight game, but I hope that his, you know, his bills are taken care of. I hope his house has been paid off because this is one of the last uh, big checks he's gonna get, my man. Uh, the the fight game is harsh. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent, man. Is there anything else we gotta say about it? Cause I, w- I don't want to leave any stone unturned, bro. Just the in and out movement, the straight left, the volume, like you said with the lead hand. I just think it's gonna be too much for him. He's too slow and he's too flat-footed. His game hasn't improved since he fought. His game has, when you really look at it, has his game improved? We know what he's about. Take you He down. declined since Machida. Yeah, exactly. So. And people talk about how Kelvin's undersized. I think that's bullshit. Yeah, he's short. He's 5'9", but let, let's not sit here and act like he's undersized. Firstly, he can't make 170. That means he has to fight at 185. I mean, look at John Lineker. That's like saying John Lineker is undersized for bantamweight. Yeah, he's short. He can't make 25. But the dude who goes out there, he beats Rob Font, who's one of the bigger bantamweights. You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't think that Kelvin's outsized. I, I think Weidman's taller. Okay, a dude's taller. 5'6", Matt Serra knocked out GSP. High, big, big fucking deal. Kelvin's faster. I think he's stronger than Weidman. Maybe not a couple years ago, but post-Usada, he's fucking stronger than Weidman. I'll tell you that right now, man. And Master Hoffa and him are going to have a very good game plan. I love Ray Longo. I love Matt Serra. I feel bad for them. I hope they get a nice cut out of this, man. And, and they had a great run, man. They Look, that camp, they beat Anderson Silva. They beat GSP. They accomplished everything there is to accomplish in this sport. They can, they can hold their heads high. And, you know, fucking walk off into the sunset, man, because they did everything there is to accomplish. But as you know, in this game, there's hardly ever any feel-good stories. Maybe it's a feel-good story for Kelvin, you know, because of everything he went through at 170 to make it to this point to beat a former champion. But it ain't going to be a feel-good story for Weidman. I'll tell you that right now, my man. Well, Shaq, man, I think it's, uh, it's time for the Big Marley Minute. So joining us now on the line is Big Marley himself. Kyle, how's it going? Great, man. How you doing? Doing amazing. And you know why I'm doing amazing, Kyle? Because Tomas Almeida and Jimmy Rivera are fighting this weekend. Oh, man, I can't wait for that fight. That should be the main event. I love it. I mean, if it's not the main event, it should at least be the co-main event, right? Right? No kidding. What are they thinking? (laughs) Yeah, what were they thinking indeed? And You know, initially, they actually wanted to make this fight as a main event in Brazil, but uh, Jimmy turned it down because, you know, he fought Pedro Munoz, and he didn't like how the the public was acting towards his family, so he was kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to take another fight in Brazil. Then they ended up giving the fight to Cody Garbrandt in Vegas, and we all know what happened there. So these two have a history. <laughs> now they're going to meet. And from a betting perspective, I actually took the favorite, Jimmy Rivera. I mean, you know I've gone on record many times saying this guy's a future world champion. But look, Tomas Almeida is one of the most dangerous guys, not just in the Bantamweight division, but in the UFC. If you're talking DraftKings, 
I mean, either guy can get the knockout, but what are you thinking, man? Because I, I do think this is, again, like that Roundtree versus Craig situation, which we nailed, where this fight might not actually end in the first round, but it's going to end with someone finishing. And the question is, which guy's going to get the finish? Yeah, man, this is going to be violent. Uh, I can't wait for this fight. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Uh, I thought Almeida was a future champion, and then Cody derailed him a little bit. But, yeah, I think both these guys have bright futures. Um, and I think uh, it's a tough fight to call. However, I think you're probably on the right side with Rivera. So if I'm picking a side on DraftKings, I'm looking at Rivera mainly in cash games um, just because it is a pretty close line on DraftKings, but he's got some betting value. Uh, and if he wins, he's, he might mix in some takedowns, which Almeida probably won't be doing. And you know me, I love the takedowns in DraftKings. So I like Rivera more in the cash games. However, I don't think you can go wrong in GPPs either. If, if you like him, put him on your team. Uh, but I think if you're going to get Almeida, he's better in the GPPs because if he wins, it is probably going to be by a knockout. Um, maybe first, second round. He's usually a slow starter, so probably second round. But he always puts a bunch of strikes in uh, <clears throat> with his stats. And, yeah, he usually scores over 100 points, which is what you want. So if he wins... He would be good on a GPP. I just don't trust him enough in my cash games. Now, in this main event, as everyone that listened to the show already knows, I'm super high on Kelvin Gastelum here. Now, is he a little bit expensive, or is he nicely priced? Um, that one, I'd say it goes along with the odds pretty much. He, Gastelum is 8,400. Weidman is 7,800. So I'd say it goes along with the betting line. Um, not too much value on either guy there. However, I'm picking Weidman in this one. I just think the size is going to be a little bit too much for Gastelum. Um, and I see Weidman at least winning the first two rounds. So if Gastelum does win, it's probably third round or later. Um, and I just don't know if he can put up enough points in that time when Weidman's getting the takedowns in the first and second round. So I'm just going to bank on Weidman getting a finish and hopefully the first or second. And at 7,800, I like him on... My cash game. Oh, wow. No GPP. So, yeah. so someone's picking Weidman here. At least it's not, at least, you know, it's not all three of us on Gastelum. That actually gives me hope that, uh, that Gastelum's <laughs> going to come through. So I'm glad someone is taking Weidman. You got a lot of balls, my friend. Uh, look, I hope he scores some takedowns for you so you get some points. But at the end of the day, <laughs> Kelvin Gastelum is going to do a, he's going to, Herb Dean isn't going to need to interfere like he did in the, in the Luke Rockhold fight. And uh, whoever ref the Musasi fight isn't going to... big. You know, Dan's not going to have a moment either. Kelvin's going to end it decisively. But I hope you do score some points with Wadman. Now... <laughs> me too, man. Me too. Now let me ask you your opinion on this one, man. Because look, this kid, Elizu Zaleski, he's been coming through as a dog his last few fights. And they got him... They're, they're disrespecting him against the guy who's coming off a two-year suspension due to USADA in Lyman Good. You think uh, we should take uh, Eliza Zaleski here? Uh, man, I'm, I'm struggling on getting a read on this one myself, actually. Um, DraftKings-wise, let's see. I mean, you know, I love the takedowns, and I don't know how many takedowns are going to happen in this fight. So I could see just avoiding it completely because I don't even have a winner yet for this. Um but, yeah, if I have to choose one, I guess, in DraftKings, I would take the dogs because he is $800 cheaper. So I would rather get that savings and move up to some of the better favorites than I would uh, be getting good and hoping for that knockout. Now, when we talk about favorites, are we talking Ryan LaFleur with the takedowns? Are we talking Shane Burgos with a potential knockout? 
Or are we trying to look more at the newcomer Eric Anders, who, you know, most of his wins are by first-round knockout? Uh, I, I like Burgos quite a bit. My only problem is he's not going to be going for takedowns, so he's going to need to be really aggressive and hopefully get that first or second round TKO, KO, which I think is possible. So he will be on a lot of my teams. Um, I'm not exactly sure about LaFleur. I think he will get enough takedowns, but that fight that fight scares me a little bit. So I don't know how much LaFleur I'm going to have, but I do like that side of the fight instead of Oliveira. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, uh, Anders is actually the favorite. However, on DraftKings, he's a massive underdog. So I love that play. Uh, Cash, wow. CCP, yeah, he's 7,400, and Natal is 8,800. So that's a lot of betting value right there. So he'll be on, if not all my teams, he'll be on quite a few of my teams just for that value. And rightfully so. Now, this kid, Marlon Chito Vera, a lot of people pick against him all the time, and he, he has a way of finishing uh, his opponents at the last minute, at the 11th hour. You think uh, he's got a chance to do that again here? And I also want to know, Kyle, how many scores? Did, how many points did he score for that Brad Pickett knockout? Uh, he scored 89 in that fight, and that was the most points he has scored so far. Um, so, I mean, usually I'm not looking for 89 points. However, he is the cheapest guy on DraftKings. He's 7,000, while Kelleher is the most expensive at 9,200. So I don't mind that Vera play at all. If he can give me 89 points, he's well over 10x of his salary. So I don't hate that play at all, um, mainly because he's the cheapest. However, if these guys were in the middle of the field, uh, I don't know how much I would have of them, just because I think if anyone's going to control where this fight goes, it's Kelleher. Um, but he could definitely get submitted or, I mean, maybe even another kick knockout. You never know. Um, so I don't have the best read on this yet. I haven't seen too much of Kelleher, um, but I like the value on Vera on DraftKings. I think he would be more of a cash game play, though, where you're just getting that value and you're moving up to the other favorites like Burgos. All right, well, Kyle, before I let you go, is there uh, anyone I'm forgetting about, someone slipping under the radar that you think is a, a must-play? Uh, not a must-play, but the value that is available now, it's looking like Volante – the line oh, yeah. has shifted in his favor. So they are even on DraftKings right now, uh, but he's minus 165 on the betting line. So I don't mind. The, I always like the value. So uh, that's the other value play I'll be looking at. Him and Anders have quite a bit of value, and I like that. Yeah, no, I like Volante a lot only in this spot, not not on regular fights. You know what I'm saying? And the reason I say regular <laughs> fights is because this dude, Cummins, I mean, he has an affinity for getting knocked out. I mean, dude's got one tooth. You know what I'm saying? So – I, I agree with you in terms of DraftKings. When you see a guy getting knocked out in the first round, Volante is going to score those points. So I hope he knocks him out in the first round because if he doesn't, you know what's going to happen. Uh, it's going to be Pat yeah. that you should have played. However, man, I think you got the right side here, man. So we're going to have to see how it goes down Saturday. It's an earlier card, as, as those Fox cards tend to be. The fans can follow Mr. Marley at BigMarley3 on Twitter. And uh, Kyle, anything else you want to tell the fans before we talk next week? That's it, man. Good luck to everybody. Hope we all win some money. Yes, sir. Thank you again for the time, Kyle. And, uh, man, my DraftKings game is getting a little better, man. I'm making I'm making progress, all right? That's what I like to hear. I've been doing awful, so I need to step it up myself. I mean, maybe I can give you a pointer or two on DraftKings, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'll be asking you next week. All right, my man. We'll, we'll talk next week, all right? For John Jones versus right, DC, man. my friend. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for that one. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, brother. And we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So Shaq, 
The fight to watch for UFC Long Island. What is it? The fight to watch, man, is actually going to be John Vellante and Pat Cummins, man. I think it's going to be one of those slobber knocker, ugly, fun, entertaining type of fights. Both guys will wobble at some point, and uh, one guy is going to hit the deck hard. But it's going to be one of those fights where you're just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to say that one. The fight to watch is clearly Tomas Almeida versus Jimmy Rivera. Look, if there's only one fight on this entire card that you get to watch besides the main event, it's going to be that one. And if it's not, please unfollow me. So, so unfollow me, Shaq. No. <laughs> no, but I mean, look, Tomas and Jimmy, you know, I, I say this on a lot of episodes of the show that they're going to throw down until one guy falls down, but... I really believe they're going to throw down until one guy falls down. I don't think anyone's going to try to stall this fight. I think you're going to see some masterful striking. I think you're going to see two guys that are super hungry to prove they can be world champion in one of the most talent-rich divisions in the UFC. And I think that's one that uh, we're going to be talking about for a very long time. So definitely tune in to Tomas Almeida versus Jimmy Rivera as your fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is the fighter to watch at UFC Long Island, man? My fighter to watch is going to be Zaleski Capoeira, bro. I think he's going to go out here, pull off the upset at plus 180. And I think it's going to be a war, man. I think he's going to get cracked. I think both men will wobble, but I think he's going to land the more effective shots. And, I mean, if he wins this fight against the former Bellator champion, you know, he's got three big wins in a row, Omari, Nakamura, and Lyman. And I think he's arguably right outside the top 15. He can go out there and fight guys like Leon Edwards, Barbarina, Cummins, Gunny. So, you know, I think he's going to be in prime position at 170. Now, I said my fight to watch was Jimmy Rivera versus Tomas Almeida. And my fighters to watch are also Jimmy Rivera and Tomas Almeida. I mean, look. This is one of those matchups where I wish it was a five-round main event. Actually, a lot of people don't know this, but they were actually supposed to fight one time in Brazil. And Jimmy turned it down, and then they made Cody Garbrandt versus Tomas Almeida. A lot of people don't know that. You learn something new every day on half the battle, right? But look, just please watch this fight, and whoever wins, whoever emerges victorious from this fight, I mean, both guys, even the loser of this fight is going to do big things, but whoever wins this fight, man... They, they shoot up straight to the top three, man. I mean, think about them. You know, Jimmy or, or Thomas versus Dominic Cruz next. Whoever wins this fight, it's going to be a massive, massive fight. Well, Shaq, we did it, man. UFC Long Island is going down this Saturday. You and I actually aren't going to be able to watch it live because, you know, the local fights this weekend, I was blessed with the opportunity. I'm going to be doing color commentary for NFC. Justin Scoggins' brother, Jared Scoggins, is actually fighting in the main event. He's fighting a really tough kid in Cody Durden, who I got the pleasure of training with last weekend. That Cody kid's super hungry. He wants a finish here against Scoggins, you know, the kid with the name. And uh, we're going to be there checking those out, man. I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm going to be cage side, you know, watching the fights and catching bets at the same time. So uh, I'm ready. Yes, sir. Well, let them know where to follow you. I see you've been... Doing yeah. the, you've been consistent with the riding. What's yeah, going man. on, man? Follow me, MMA Genius. Follow uh, TSM underscore MMA. And I got the bets posted. Uh, I got the parlay. Chris Wade, Jimmy Rivera. I think it was plus 106. You know, we got three units on Kelvin. And we got one unit on Zaleski at plus 180. So uh, I think they're all going to cash. Yeah, and for me, I got a max bet on Kelvin Gastello at minus 140. I parlayed Jimmy Rivera and Shane Burgos at minus 101. And I put two units on Zaleski at plus 180. So just need two of these to cash for a winning night, which I fully plan on having. And, by the way, another event going down on Saturday. Oh, yeah, let's Bren talk about that. Brendan Lofnane. <laughs> you know, he's fighting Pat Hilly and ACB. You know, keep this on the DL so we all get a good line. But, you know, 
I think uh, Brennan's going to go out here and smoke Pat in the first round. So if that line comes out, I'm looking to play that as well. Yeah, definitely look out for uh, Brennan Lochlein. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's about to do work here. Uh, keep it on the DL. Make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the play. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. I'm going to try to post videos of uh, this this commentary gig because now this one, this ain't pay-per-view no more like the last one. They were trying to charge five days after the fact, but now it's going to be on YouTube the next day. So y'all can make fun of me like you do to Mike Goldberg. Uh, hey, he's at the top of the game, though. So yeah. I'm going to be there one day, too. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.